Today, we're coming to you with the most valuable show we have ever done. This is years and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of advice in a two-part podcast. And today is part one. We're breaking down the 10 things you need to do to be a better marketer, to grow your business in 2024. And today, we're starting with the first five. Let's get into today's show. There is no secret formula for scaling customer support and boosting customer satisfaction. But there is the all-new HubSpot Service Hub, bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible and free up a rep's time with AI-powered help desk, all so you can keep customers happy. Secrets out. Service Hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. AKA Tony the Tiger, you are in the house. <laughs> Let's go, man. How you doing? Still my favorite YouTube comment is, did Kieran murder Tony the Tiger to get that top? So I thought I would bring it out for a second show in just to say thank you to that comment. I also shout out to the YouTube commenter who said, we need to stop laughing because it's really annoying. So. We laugh at things that aren't funny. <laughs> we laugh at things that aren't well, funny. Well, I'm inherently unfunny, so I will probably laugh at a lot of things that are not One funny. day we should just read out mean TikTok comments because like <laughs> over there, it's a whole other level of abuse that I very much enjoy. TikTok is the saddest <laughs> part of humanity. I enjoy So it's maybe it's just the way I grew up. Me and my friends, like if you're in Ireland, especially Northern Ireland, actually, there is no like having any kind of conversations of substance between like males, right? <laughs> you don't actually tell each other anything about your life, what you're going through. You just make fun of each other. It's the only thing you're meant to do to show that you are real friends. And so I grew up- Sounds like a really healthy a way, place. Yeah. So I enjoy the, you know, back and forth on social media. Hey, I love our commenters. Please hit that like, subscribe on YouTube. Give us good, bad, or otherwise comments. I don't care. I read them all. I love it. Kieran, we did some work. You did most of the work, but we did some work in coming up with our 10 most important lessons slash skills to be a better marketer in 2024. And we took these from all the smart people we've interviewed on the show, from smart people we've worked with, from experiences we've had. And what we want to do is we want to run through those with everybody today. We want to tell some stories, crack some jokes, and help people understand how to shift their marketing mindset in 2024. Right. We learned a ton in 2023. The thing that we really know is we are going through a shift in just how companies will be marketed, like just how marketing works. We've kind of gone from outbound to inbound. We have this real shift happening right now, which is a really interesting time for marketeers. And we learned a lot this year. And so I thought what we could do in this show is basically tell all of you how you can be a better marketer going forward, whether you are a marketer who aspires to be a marketing leader, whether you are already a marketing leader, whether you are a founder who is looking for a leader to hire this year. Like these are, I think, the traits that you would want your marketer to have. This show was actually created through Bard. What I really did was took a bunch of our shows and then put them all into Bard because Bard has the YouTube integration. Yeah. And then got it to like categorize the themes and then pulled out the themes and like I kind of did the last part where I kind of provided the context for each category, provided a description and kind of wrote what we thought about those things. But it's 
pretty great if you wanted to kind of go through previous YouTube videos and create content around them. Number one, we've talked about this. I truly believe this is where all marketers can get better. It's obsess over problems, not solutions. For every problem you tackle, you really want to understand what it solves to make the customer happy and the operational metric to measure to know you've been successful. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the metric because not every team needs to have a metric and I can describe how I would measure that team. But I want to kind of talk about the importance of this through a story of the challenges of training my French bulldog. (laughs) (laughs) So I have two dogs. I have a pug who we've adopted when she was six. She's 12 now. She's awesome, Minnie. She's quite small. That's why we called her Minnie. And like every other person during COVID, we got a dog. We got a French bulldog and he's three years old now. And so Buddy has some quirks, right? He, that's just <laughs> his nature. Quirks. I enjoy it. Quirks them. is just a nice and way so, for he's a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> he's not a, don't you call my dog a jerk. <laughs> this dog is like at the top of the pyramid. Everyone else is below how I think of this dog. And so he has quirks, Kip, just quirks. He's stubborn. And you've had dogs, right? One of the hardest things I've had to do is try to train him to walk properly past other dogs. So when he mm. sees another dog coming, what he does is he gets down, he lies on the floor, he waits till they're near him, and he pounces at them <laughs> when they're least expecting it <laughs> to say hello. So his idea of saying hello is to pounce at you and to scare you, right? That is how he says hello to other dogs. And so what I have figured out is like, if you have these treats, because he loves these kind of treats, I can like, before the dog gets to him, I can say, here's a treat, and then he'll sit up stare at the treat, the dog will pass. Now, why am I using this as a way to describe why this actually matters? It's because what I am really obsessing over there is the solution, right? I have found a solution for getting the dog to walk past him and for him to sit up and stare at the treat. But I actually don't know the problem. Like, what is the problem? Why does he do it in the first place? You don't know why he's doing this. You're just, it's a band-aid, And so I figured out using ChatGPT (laughs) (laughs) that the problem is that he thinks he is the leader of the pack and because it is only him and I walk, I must be like the number two in the pack, which actually makes a ton of sense. I'm usually always the, the number two in my house. And so he's protecting me. And so what I figured out is if I walk around and put me in front of the dog, he now understands it's not his job to protect me because mm-hmm. I'm in front of him, right? And so I think that's a good example of when you focus on the solution, you can do something. It's probably temporary. It's probably a hacky way of doing it and not the best way of doing that thing because you don't truly understand the problem. And the more you actually crystallize the problem, the better the solution will be and the more impactful it will likely be. And I think too often marketers start with a solution without really crystallizing the problem because they don't truly understand their customer. Well, they don't understand their customer. And I think what's important is if you've done marketing ever in your life or you've ran a business ever in your life, one of the things you talk about is like this notion of debt. Oh, we have technical debt. We have operational debt. We have process debt. Our website stinks and we have a ton of website debt because it's completely misorganized. All those things, right? The reason you have debt is because you've been too obsessed on a bunch of different solutions versus the root problem. Right. Solving the root problem is how you avoid getting debt and how and minimize the debt you have as like a team and as an organization. And so not only do you get this awesome benefit of solving a problem and solving it faster by focusing on the core problem versus just a bunch of strategies and tactics and solutions, you actually avoid all the debt that comes with doing those strategies, tactics, solutions, because those things are not free. 
right? Like in your dog metaphor, you got to buy a bunch of dog treats. You got to go to the store. You got to spend money. You got to do all those things, right? You got to remember to bring them with you. In the marketing version of that, it's like, oh, well, maybe my website's broken, but I'm just going to do some new templates. And then I'm just going to do this custom, uh, you know, script to work around it. And then all of a sudden you've got like all the stuff you're managing and copy and pasting across all these pages. And that becomes a real pain in the butt. And then you end up hiring more people and it just goes on this bad death spiral of debt. Right. You become a uh, 2008 financial system <laughs> level of debt. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Not good. Yeah. So I think we have another one here around getting more customer centric, but I think this is the first thing. If I'm a marketer, I would spend more time on trying to make sure that I understand the problems and why those problems were impactful to solve. And then I would start to solution. I think one of the reasons you should really spend time with other functions is because you learn different skill sets and product and engineering are really good at this skill set because they have to understand the problem before they ever start to solution. And they will, if you've ever worked very closely with product and engineering like I do, they'll actually want you to work with them on the problem versus the solution. So it's a good way that you can learn this. The second one is kill squishy goals. I think about this in terms of, I used to go to these seminars, right? And they were for neuro-linguistic programming. And I've talked about it a little bit on the show before, but it's basically how you like reset the way that you think about things. You meet a lot of different people there. You meet people who have been through traumatic experiences. You meet people who are just like unsure what to do with their lives. You meet people who are trying to like change careers or do something, you know, very different with their lives, which is what I was trying to do. And actually everything comes back to goal setting. Like it's really interesting. One of the sessions we went to is just humans actually don't have problems setting goals. Like a lot of people feel that people who are lost within their lives is because they don't have the right goals or they're not able to set goals. But actually humans are goal-making machines, right? From the moment you get up in the morning, you have a goal to get out of your bed at a certain time. You have a goal to go downstairs and eat food. You have a goal to go and exercise. And some of those goals are consciously done and unconsciously done. And actually the real art is being able to set the right goal and then have feedback loops to know if that is getting you closer to your outcome or not, right? Like to actually have tight feedback loops. And too often, I think in marketing, we actually have these squishy goals where a squishy goal to me is you have a goal for that month. And then at the end of the month, you sit down with your parents and you have to describe what did I do this month, right? <laughs> My parents do not really understand what I do. It has been 15 years and I still, you know, you do something on the internet. But if I had to sit down with them and describe, well, here's what I did this month and here is why that was impactful and here's how I know I delivered upon it. Too often, a lot of teams cannot have that conversation because they set this arbitrary goal and it can be like, it's up to the way that they articulate success or not, whether they hit it or not. Like the deliverable is squishy. It's not easy to articulate. And we've talked about this on the show. And I think that one of the simplistic things you can do as a manager, as a leader, is to make sure that clear goals with clear deliverables cascade through your entire organization because that sets everyone up for the right level of accountability and conversations to have on a monthly basis. Let me give you my hierarchy of goals, Kieran. The first is you have no goals. You have no idea what you're doing. (laughs) The the second is you have a goal, but that goal is very activity-based. Like I am going to do five of these things. I'm going to write five articles. I'm going to make five videos. Yes, this is where activity goals. And the next level of better in the goal hierarchy is you have some result metric-driven goal, which is what you're pushing on here, which is, hey, I'm going to achieve 
being able to generate a thousand leads this month through these channels, right? And that's much better. The best version of a goal is I'm going to have some clear metric that is tied to my overall business revenue and strategy and goals, right? So the best example would be, oh, I'm going to generate a thousand qualified leads for my sales team, resulting in 70% of the sales pipeline for this quarter, and the sales outbound effort is going to generate the other 30%, right? And then that's very clear. And then you can kind of have substrates of that of like, of that thousand qualified leads, I'm going to get 300 from organic search, 200 from email marketing, 400 from paid, 100 from affiliate or referral traffic, whatever. You break that down. And that's a pretty clear like, oh, did I hit my goal or not? Yes. And then if I didn't hit my goal, where did I come up short? Right. Because that's the part, like to use your parents' metaphor, are you clear on what you did? And are you clear if you didn't make it, why you didn't make it? Right. The problem with the activity-based goals is you're like, well, I wrote my five articles. But I don't know why we didn't yeah, yeah, know, exactly. achieve our goal. Yeah. I wrote my five yeah. articles. I did my thing. And that is the unhealthy way to think. So that is that is my kind of hierarchy of goals. And so you want to get to these very specific tied to business outcome strategy level of goals. Yeah. And I think the one that people struggle with is, okay, well, I don't, I'm a team. I just don't have a metric. And I think that's fine. Not all teams need to have a metric, but there's always a clear deliverable. Like if you're the product marketing team, maybe one of your deliverables is I'm going to deliver a product position and artifact, that artifact is going to answer these three pivotal questions. And the way I know it's going to be delivered is I'm going to present it to the CEO, the CMO, and the CRO, and they are going to give the green light that we are going to go ahead, that these are the three things, and I will integrate that into my product launches, right? Oh, okay. Like I know exactly what the deliverable is and how you know if you achieved it or not. So the whole thing, well, I need to have a metric to have a clear deliverable is not true. So there you go. Kill Squishy Goals 2024. If you're a market leader, if you're a founder, you should be able to look at anyone's goals and say, I actually understand how you deliver upon this and how I will actually judge you on that. The third one is, we talk a lot about this, right? This oh, is man. more true than ever. This is my favorite distribution one. Distribution over everything. Only make something if you know how to distribute it. Distribution is the most powerful force in marketing. If you build something, understand how you will distribute it first. I think this is my biggest learning in my entire life doing marketing. <laughs> I really do. I do not know something more impactful if you are doing marketing than this. Because one, it forces you to just not make some boring story in a vacuum that nobody's going to care about. That's not going to get out to anybody. And the second is it helps you not overthink things and overcomplicate things. The biggest trap of marketing is trying to over-segment right? Like, for example, we're going back and forth at HubSpot around some different segmentation stuff. And the interesting thing about segmentation, if you focus on, you're like, oh, I'm going to create this new vertical, or I'm going to focus on this smaller segment of company sizes that I'm going to go after, right? Whatever that may be, you almost always get an increase in conversion rate. But you will then have to create systems, new teams, add additional expense. Like the right. net cost of that upside is rarely positive. There's a segment ROI model you can build, basically. Yes. But the only time I have seen like the double down, do more work from a net benefit basis every single time is on distribution. Right. You know, if you increase your distribution by 10, 20, 30%, there's just a direct correlation to revenue growth every time. Right. For segmentation to truly be impactful, 
the value of the conversion has to increase tenfold. Mm-hmm. So I think in distribution, you're trying to increase the channel's distribution tenfold. When you do distribution, it really needs to increase the value of the conversion for it to be worthwhile because the conversion rates through the segment will never be enough. Like I, I learned this lesson really early. I learned this lesson actually before I ever got into marketing, mm-hmm. which is like really interesting because I think that's one of the reasons I was somewhat successful early on because I learned this lesson as an engineer when I was actually in my last year before I joined marketing, I always call it the 70 million blowout where I was traveling for a year after doing all these NLP conferences because I was like, I'm a terrible engineer. (laughs) I need to go fix my life. And so I got into all these NLP conferences, spent my last 10,000 on these seminars and then said, I still don't really know what I want to do, but I know I don't want to do this. So I'll just go travel. That's what most Irish people end up doing. They go South America, Asia, Australia. And so I end up in Sydney. And I went back to doing engineering work in Sydney because I realized when you're a contractor in Sydney, you can earn a lot of money. (laughs) So (laughs) rather than being someone who's like, what I can contract on is like, well, I don't really know what I want to do in my life because I don't want to do engineering. And so I went back to being an engineer, did some contract work, ended up in this radio station. It was called, I think, Oz FM. It's like the biggest radio station in Australia at the time. Got to meet the Backstreet Boys, got to meet Leo Sayer. No one probably knows who Leo Sayer is. He had this like song. I know, like dancing, dancing. I want to dance the night away. Oh, I know what song you're talking about. That was actually a pretty good rendition. Yeah. Props to you. Yeah, big fan. Our house is a big Leo Sayer household. <laughs> but the anyway, one house that's listening to him. That's great. <laughs> He'll come and visit you We were you the next household Christmas. of the one album. And so I go out, get asked to work on this like e-com store, right? And so this was like 2007 or something, right? So it was like a long time ago. And they were going to do this e-com store for the radio station. You can buy swag. And so I'm doing the kind of stuff that I do, which is like more in the back end. And I was in a meeting and I was like, how do people arrive at this website? And I didn't really know anything about digital marketing, but I was like, I understood enough to know, like, how do people find the stuff? Yeah. And they were like, oh, well, once we launch it, there's gonna be so much fanfare around it. People will just know to come. That's never true. And, uh, you know, get the stuff. And so it launched. I got asked to come back and do some work three to six months later and it had closed down again. (laughs) (laughs) So I brought the lesson in with me, which is the year after that, I changed into marketing, got my first marketing job in search. And so I brought that lesson in with me, which is you have to understand the distribution part first. You have to have distribution built into whatever you're going to release. I think it's a pretty uh, great lesson to still anchor yourself in today. We'll be right back. But before, let me tell you about another podcast I love. Nudge, hosted by Phil Agnew, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Ever noticed how the smallest changes can have the biggest impact? On Nudge, you learn simple evidence-backed tips to help you kick bad habits, get a raise, grow a business. Every bite-sized 20-minute show comes packed with practical advice. Nudge is fast-paced, but it's still insightful with real-world examples that you can apply. Oh, and it's the UK's fastest growing business podcast. If you want an MBA's worth of insight one podcast, this is the right show for you. Entrepreneurs will love this show because it's filled with repeatable proven studies, not hearsay and one-off success stories. You're going to love the show because I was interviewed by Phil. You can go check out my episode. And I recently listened to an awesome episode. It's called Six Scientifically Proven Persuasion Techniques. It's a must listen for anyone in marketing. Listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts. Look, distribution is hard. And if you are a founder and your marketers aren't that distribution focused, it's probably because they don't have the skills and you probably need to go find somebody who is. If you're a marketer, you should go build distribution skills because you will be 
constantly in demand. Constantly in demand. Constantly in demand. 100%. Demand. All right. Our lesson number four. 10x the value, right? Oh, I like this one. This is one of HubSpot's first principles on the marketing team. This is one of your first principles. It is. It's still, it's more relevant today than it's ever been because of the increased competition. It's it more relevant every day, actually. AI is going to increase this, which is be 10x more valuable than the competition. Marketing is a game of value. Yes. That is the game. Who can deliver the most customer value? And so what you really need to understand is where are your customers underserved? And how can you 10x the value in that one area to create your wedge? You want to hear what I think is one of my best 10x value stories, Kieran? Yes. All right. You will remember this. You were there for this. But I don't know if you would pick this as one of the top ones. You know, early in the days of HubSpot, this is probably 2012, 2013, somewhere in there. Still startup mode, still early on in the days of the internet. And what we noticed was this, like if you could have an offer that was just super valuable, wow, your conversion rate would be incredible. The virality of that content would be incredible. And you would just like kill your demand and lead gen and all that, that kind of performance. And so I was walking home one day and I was like, oh, all of our customers have bad stock photos on their website that they're paying a bunch of money for. Oh. Why don't we just pay a freelance photographer to go shoot like 500 photos and give them away for free? And we did. And those stock photos generated like hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue and put a bunch of spotters on websites all over the internet because yeah. we used like <laughs> our own employees in, like as, as models for the stock photos. But that was something that literally cost, I think all in, cost us like, less than $10,000 to do right? and made well over $100 million for sure. Like right. I haven't looked at the latest of it, but it was like the most massive change because you found the inefficiency of the market. There are people out there paying real money for this thing and I'm going to go give it to them for free. And that's where all the opportunity is. Yeah, that's a perfect example. The other one that was from the same sort of year, maybe the year after, was when infographics were becoming popular yeah. and everyone had to go to agencies to actually build their infographics. And we did a bunch of templates. That thing like could have been its own business. Like, <laughs> I remember it could have just been its own. But you could have, we could have just spun that out and it could have been its own multi-million dollar business because the amount of traffic and demand that that drove. But they are great examples of you know, you were really great at this. Like what friction exists within our customers' lives and what friction is relevant to our product and how can we deliver that pre them ever becoming a customer? And the stock photos one was a really good example of that. Well, the, the, the other one was, I remember when we used to work in an office back, that's how arcane this all is. I remember walking by the front desk and like hearing the receptionist talk to somebody who's trying to buy HubSpot. This is the phone. And I was like, we don't have our phone number on our website. We should probably put our phone <laughs> remember number on our website. This is one of my favorite HubSpot stories when Kip comes to me and says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to answer the phone. Like, <laughs> Isn't that great? We're going to double our, our software <laughs> and they're trying to call us and we don't have our phone number on the website and we don't really have anybody answering the phone for those calls. Uh, that's how inbound we were, totally. right? Which is why we were so successful because we we're the opposite end of the spectrum of most B2B companies where we were so inbound that actually one of our big initiatives for like that month was like, Answering the Our phone. Our good friend, <laughs> Melissa Miller, bless her. Yeah. She spent like 90 days just like- I remember that. Getting the phone number, phone infrastructure, dealing with IT and Cisco to like make sure that we had perfect routing for all of those inbound calls that were trying to buy software. It was amazing. Yeah. The other lesson in that that I'll end on is that is incorporated in that and you probably agree is when we decided to do something, we did it. Like the phone is an example of that. It wasn't just like answer the phone. It was like, okay, 
how do we do this in the best possible way any company has ever done it? You want the most recent example of that, Kieran? Give it to me. This happened this week, which will be a couple weeks from when this show airs, I think. We have a good friend of the pod. One of our very first guests on the pod was Alex Lieberman, founder of Morning Brew. And oh. he's now got a great ghostwriting business called Story Arb. He's doing a bunch of cool things. He posted on Love Twitter, this. I have a proposition for any bold Fortune 500 CMO. If you buy 50-yard line seats at the NCAA Football National Championship on January 9th for my friends, we will dress in whatever costume you want, your company mascot, QR codes, etc. Do whatever you want when the camera is on us and document the entire journey. The amount of media value will 100% exceed the cost of the tickets you buy. So I see this. Uh, I see it probably like an hour or two after Alex posts it. I DM him. I'm like, hey, I want to do this. As like, give me your email. I'm going to introduce you to Sunil who runs brand for us. And we're going to do this. Uh, I think we had an agreement like three to five hours later to do it. And we did it. Awesome. And sometimes you just have to be like, you know what? We're going to do that. Like that is just a different smart thing to do. There's real opportunity. It's super low cost relative to everything else we do. So why wouldn't we do it and be decisive? And part of this is most people overthink things not because of the cost, but because of perception and everything else. And I was like, this is a drop in the bucket. Like I could just write a personal check for this. And if I could write a personal check for this, like we should do it. Like, you know what I mean? Like the risk is super low. Yeah. There's two things on this. It actually fits into HubSpot's creator strategy. Zapier have an incredible kind of creator influencer strategy where we work with a lot of the bigger influencers within our market. And we do like similar things. And I think this is like part of where we believe marketing is going, where like Alex is a creator with an incredible audience and kind of fits into that creator-led bucket that HubSpot has with the creator program. The other thing is the scalable version of this. I don't know if you remember, but one of my ideas maybe a year ago on the pod was that you should have a marketplace for brandable backgrounds in Zoom. <laughs> yes. Because everyone is on Zoom now. And so if you're a company, you can go in and you can say, I will showcase, mm-hmm. like if you're a co-marketing, you're not a competing tool, but I'll turn my entire company's background to this tool for the day and you have to pay a fee on that advertising space. I got two things. First of all, if you think we should have Alex back on the show to talk about his trip to the NCAA oh, we should definitely do that. What he learned, that whole experience, how he documented it, drop us a YouTube comment considering doing that. Would love to hear from you. Kieran, I got to tell you about my biggest life business regret. When I was in college, I think I had an amazing idea. I wanted to start a marketplace for this kind of stuff where you could just be like, hey, I want to pay these 100 people to show up on the street to do this thing or to go to this sporting event. And nobody has still really done it. Mm. So we have citizen journalism. Yeah, it was basically citizen advertising. Yeah, well, you put a marketplace and you'd be like, hey, I need these 100 cars wrapped in this city and I'm willing to pay X amount of dollars per car wrapped for the next 30 days. And you just would have gig workers basically go and sign up to do that. This happens, but it's, in a very like service bespoke kind of way, there's no like scalable marketplace for this stuff, unfortunately. Right. Free business idea for everybody. That is still a good business. You should go do that business. I actually tried to start a business in my placement year in college. It was going really well. And I went back to college to finish my degree. I really regret that given I was that degree. (laughs) (laughs) Given that you never became a computer programmer. It sounds right. What I was doing, it was a tech business and I was doing the sales part of it, which Uh, is probably where I'm better rather than the development part, which is like where I'm worse. And so uh, that was actually one of my regrets. All right. Relevance is greater than perfection. Oh, okay. I like this one. Let's go. This is something you said this year, Kip, and I truly believe in it. Relevance is greater than perfection, right? You just need to ship things 
try things. And really, people don't care if your marketing is perfect. What they actually care about is, is it relevant to them? Does it connect with them? And to do that, you need to know your audience. So it's really care much more about what's in the package versus the packaging itself. And I think that's a really important thing is like, we try to get the aesthetics perfect. We try to get the design perfect. We try to get all these things perfect. But then what's in it sucks, <laughs> right? It's always like, you even get those presents, like especially over the holidays and Christmas, like you get the presents and you're unwrapping it and the box is amazing. The stuff that's in it, all the kind of wrapping is amazing. And you get in and it's like socks. <laughs> socks are the worst Christmas gift. Uh, can we just ban socks as a Christmas gift henceforth? Like I just, I just can't do it. But I think that is part of it, right? Like Wade has this really great thing where it's actually a really great lesson. He was talking to me about this week and I've really internalized it where he gets teams when we're writing the copy to tell the story on the website or something on the email, whatever it is. Sometimes you just write it and then you just go, I've got it done, right? What he gets people to do is like loom it because when you verbalize it mm -hmm. and actually articulate it and narrate it, you're like, does that sound interesting? Does that make you want to actually like lean in and continue to listen? Or do you just like lean out? That's kind of boring, right? That's kind of the same thing as like the website might look great and you might have got that copy done, but is it actually truly relevant? Does it make you want to like lean in if someone narrates that to you? And I thought that was a really great example of this. Uh, I think it's a great example of it. I'm reading, I'm getting close to finishing up the book Clear Thinking by Shane Parrish. Yeah. Really good book. I've seen you tweeting about it. Yeah. And so I tweeted about that yesterday. I think when it comes to relevance, part of relevance is showing up and showing up consistency. And Shane's got this great line in the book. It's probably one of my favorite lines in the book, which is emotional intensity is far less important in the long run than discipline consistency. Emotional intensity is far less important in the long run than discipline consistency. What that means is sometimes emotion is what stops us from being relevant, right? Because we get worried about what people are going to say. We want to make it perfect. We keep it close to us. We're scared. Discipline consistency is, oh, I show up and do a podcast twice a week, whether I want to or not. I show up and do a daily newsletter once a day, whether I want to or not. Those things are how you become relevant because it just forces you in the zeitgeist of the world when you are consistent. Like, Kieran, you talked to me off air. You're like, man, I'm going to kill LinkedIn this year. I'm going to be awesome at LinkedIn. <laughs> and you know what you're going to do? You're going to publish on LinkedIn every day. You're not going to like worry about crafting the perfect LinkedIn post. You are going to have a, just a very consistent, disciplined schedule. Right. And that is how you become relevant. Perfection isn't possible and is really just a side effect of you being too afraid about what everybody else thinks about you. You're right. And being relevant is saying, hey, I actually don't care what anybody else thinks. I want to shape what those other people think. I'm the leader of the situation and I am going to shape what they think. You and I have listened. Well, you put me onto it, the David Goggins interview, <laughs> which has really stuck with me for yeah. a multitude of different reasons, not just this, but it really is like show up, do the hard thing and ship things. 100%. But I think that relevance, you have to do the hard thing to be relevant. Like it's not just enough to show up. You actually have to truly understand how you connect with your audience, but you get that through discipline and iteration and like showing up each day and learning. Repetition and getting that Yeah, feedback. and I think the person who cares about perfection ships one thing in a month. The person who cares about showing up and relevance ships 30 things that month. Like who do you think learns the most about their audience within that month, right? And that's the key here. When you take action, two things happen and both of them are good. You either accomplish what you were hoping to accomplish and you were successful, or you fail and you get a bunch of learnings and feedback that make you much better. Right. Both of those are good outcomes. 
right? There's one thing seared in my brain from that David Goggins. I was laughing. <laughs> I was walking my dogs and like listening to the interview. He's not doing this on purpose. There's no way no. he thinks about his branding or marketing. No, he doesn't but he is definitely like, when we talk about being on the opposite end of the spectrum, don't be in the middle. If you took Gary V, he's at the other end of the spectrum, right? Yeah. He's like all of that motivational stuff, all of that, do your best stuff, get up and do this stuff. That's all bullshit. You're nothing but a piece of shit. You have to struggle. And I was like listening to the interview and he says, there's this guy back and forth with him and human, I think about a friend. And he goes like, what would you tell that friend? And he goes, I tell that friend, you're nothing but a piece of shit. You don't want to be great. I don't give a shit about you. This is like, that is like the most least motivational, but the most awesome thing I've ever heard. So it's like, it's not like, oh, get up at the crack of dawn and have your cold bath and have your sauna and have, it's like, no, f you. you, you suck. You're not going to get anywhere. It's like, I'm just like laughing oh, all the way actually home. amazing story, but also like not wrong. You have to have that discipline consistency to be relevant. Yeah. And that is like, that Goggin story is a great example. He's the extreme version of it, but I thought it was a great interview. All right, cool. That's our part one. We will be back in part two, but here is the summary of what we talked about. Problems versus solutions. Remember me training my dog, standing in front of the dog versus trying to use treats. Understand the problem that you're trying to solve and then your solution is gonna be much better. We wanna kill squishy goals. You need to have clear articulation of what you've delivered on something. Remember Kip's cascade and goals. What is the impact of that? And did you deliver upon that? Distribution is everything. Only make something if you can actually distribute it, right? The story that I told where the company started the e-com store, but really had no distribution inbuilt and it crashed and burned within three months. Distribution is really at the heart of all things marketing. You need to know how you're going to distribute something before you create it. 10X the value. Kip give you a ton of great examples. Where are your customers having friction and how can you provide 10X the value in those areas before they ever become a customer? Marketing is a game of delivering on a customer value and who delivers upon it best. And the fifth one was relevance is greater than perfection, right? You really want to show up. You want to be consistent in your delivery. You want to be able to connect with your audience and you do not want to overthink things. Do not overcomplicate things. Do not seek perfection because the person who seeks perfection never even gets on the game to play. They never are in the game to even play and win. You have to be in the game to be able to win. And so that's our summary. This is the first part. We're giving you the crash course on how to be a better marketer in 2024. I wish I knew these things when I was actually coming up in marketing. I would have accelerated my career much, much faster. We are going to be back with five others in the second part of this podcast. Podcast.